Welcome to Unlikely Intersections, the podcast where intent, impact, uh, and inquiry inspire our conversations. It is so great to be back with my good friend, Terry Jackson. I'm Doc Philip Brown. You know, the interesting thing about intersections is that we all have many intersections daily and how we handle them determines the trajectory of, of our days and our lives. We are super excited. I didn't even realize how excited I was going to be to be back in the studio after a little nice, uh, refreshing break. Uh, and we have a wonderful guest today. Terry, let's talk about our guest. You know, we have a wonderful guest. She's a world-renowned designer. And the remarkable thing about her is she was able to take her professional work, the design work, create a framework around any and everything that you think you can design. And her name is, is I.J. Brazil, And we are so happy to have her with us uh, this morning. She's a member of the prestigious uh, Marshall Goldsmith 100. And what I really love about I.J. is the love that she carries in her heart for humanity and the humility that she has with her. So thank you so very much for joining us. It is an honor and a pleasure. Thank you, Terry and Dr. Brown. It's so good to be here with you and start the year together. Yes, we look forward to this because when we think about designing what we want to design, we're actually going to utilize this conversation this morning to design our 2023. So if you can just give us a little bit of background on who you are, how you got to where, you are, and we'll move forward into your wonderful books at some point in time as well. Great. So uh, I was born in Turkey. I grew up in Turkey. And I came to New York uh, with a Fulbright scholarship to do my master's in industrial design. And I've stayed and I've become a New Yorker now. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually am calling from Midtown, New York. So hello to any anyone who's from New York. And uh, in Terry, like you mentioned, I am an industrial designer through and through. And I think of everything through the lens of being a designer. And I realized recently that um, the reason that I'm a designer is because I come from a family of lawyers. Mm. And lawyers are trained to be pessimists. Mm. And so uh, they think of the worst possible case scenarios. And I wanted to be an optimist and mm -hmm. think of not what could go wrong, but what could go right. Mm -hmm. and, and I do that by using design tools because design is all about problem solving, as you know. And so I want to show everyone that you can turn problems into opportunities using design tools, and that's what I do. Well, now, Aisha, you and I just met, but I feel like I know you a little bit because over the break, <laughs> I had a chance to read your latest book, Design the Long Life uh, uh, You Love, and it's so powerful uh, in, its, in its simple eloquence, really. You know, a great thing to do because we had a nice break and everything, and so it's kind of where we're resetting ourselves for 23 and I wonder if, if you were going to 
uh, talk a little bit about the book, you know, what would you say in a capsule for our listeners so they'd be interested in reading it? Because I think it could help a lot of people. Thank you. Thank you for reading my book over the holidays. You know, that that's the best uh, flattery. And really, this book is for everyone, ages 20 to 90. And it's about taking the long view on life and thinking about how we want to design our life using lessons that I've learned from people who are 65 and older mm. and, and saying these are beautiful lessons from people who've lived the longest, but you can learn them early in life. And that, that's the, the gist of it. I know in there one of the one of the sections that really resonated with me because we've actually done an episode on it. Um, we did an episode on reconciliation, but the way you address it is reconciling past and future. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that process and how that works in in one's life. <laughs> yes, you know um, there was a study done with people who are dying, mm. and. In apparently, the one thing that people regret, the number one thing is, I wish I had to, the courage to live a life true to myself, mm. not what others expected of me. And in a way, the book is an antidote to, to this. And, and it doesn't really matter when you start doing this, but the earlier, the better. And in a way, it's uh, reconciling our past, present, and future around our values. And so one of the things that I do is uh, connect people with their values, because those are the foundations of our life and, and anything we design. And once you know your values, you can make choices. You know, that's very interesting, because... Um as you were talking about connecting people to values, it took me back to your first book, Design the Life You Love, and the exercise that I remember going through as I, you gave the workshop out in Phoenix a couple of years ago and we were all there. Uh, and then you did it again online, but let's talk about how you use, you ask, let's talk about the process a little, about how you ask those ask your participants to identify their heroes and then you get into why those heroes were identified and it relates to values. So, um, well, I can talk about it or I can show you Ooh. and I can show Ooh. the listeners so we can start the year uh, on a good, good note. So you want to try? Yes. Yes. Let's okay. try. All right. But um, let me start with Doc Brown because he hasn't done this before. So we'll put you on the spot. <laughs> okay, sounds good. I'll do my best. Try not to embarrass anybody, including myself. No, no. <laughs> you can't go wrong here. So um, I want to ask you and everyone who's listening to us to think of a hero. Who? My question is, who's your hero? And... You might have multiple heroes, but think of someone who inspires you in the moment 
And this could be someone you know, so it could be family or friends or mentors, uh, a teacher, but it could also be somebody you know of, living or not. But who? just think of who's the per first person that comes to your mind. And then Terry, we're going to come to you as well. So. <laughs> okay. So am I supposed to talk? How, how, do we, how do I do it? I've got it in my head. So. Okay. So tell me uh, who your hero is. And then what is it about your hero that inspires you, their qualities? So I'm going to use one from my work life and one of my mentors, uh, who was a vascular surgeon, who is a vascular surgeon, actually still practicing. Uh, and his name is Steve Powell. Uh, he was the, the, uh, chairman of vascular surgery in my training program. And then was my senior partner when I came back after my training to, to be an assistant professor, uh, at East Carolina. And, he was just a fascinating person who was the first college graduate in his family, went on to become a vascular surgeon, which required tons of education, but he was just really skilled. And it was a lot of that skill that initially uh, attracted me to him because I wanted to be able to operate on patients and take care of people the way that he did. But he was also incredibly gifted at talking to patients in ways that they could understand. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that was very impactful on my career as well. Right. He, he explained things in terms that clearly the patients identified with, he had a sense of empathy for what they were going through. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. And, um, Terry, your turn. You know, um, as I think back on those who, have inspired me. Um, there's one particular individual that comes to mind. I would call him my hero. His name was Dr. Marcus V. Ingram. He was a professor of mine in college. One reason he was uh, inspired me the most and is a hero of mine is because he was born blind. And so being born blind, of course, he matriculated through undergraduate, graduate, and earned his Ph.D. Actually, he was the first African-American to earn a Ph.D. in marketing at UNC Chapel Hill. And given his quote-unquote um, handicap of being blind, he never saw himself as being blind because he achieved so much. You know, um, I liked his courage. Um, I liked uh, the fact that he was a, a true status quo buster. I remember sitting in his class many a day in marketing and him teaching from Braille. Huh. And, and he would talk about how he actually was driving down as he was driving to class today. And, of course, he never drove because he was <laughs> blind. But it was his wife doing the driving, but he had the vision in his mind of what it was to drive. And so he, he really and truly... Uh, inspired me. To, and actually, once I earned my, my PhD, he was the very first call that I made to let him know. And he says, Jackson, I knew that you would do it. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. And uh, I want to turn your heroes back to you. And, and there are some overlaps between your heroes, which, which is really beautiful. But um, Doc Brown, you are a leader a fascinating person who's a first in many things. Uh, you're an educator, 
you're extraordinarily skilled and gifted and you have a lot of empathy for people that allow you to communicate with people and simplify complexity for them mm. so that they understand you. And, um, and Terry, you are also a leader and a teacher mm. and you've overcome many difficulties. Mm. You're an achiever and you're someone who's courageous and you also bust status quos, mm. just like your hero and you're a visionary mm. and you envision things and then make them happen. And mm. that's you. So what I'm doing now, you, you're on to me. <laughs> is, <laughs> I'm turning your heroes into your values. So um, this is my way of asking you, what are your values? And I doubt that um, if I had asked that question, it would have been this rich. Mm -hmm. because, um, you know, it's a serious and tough question. But when you think about it in the context of your heroes uh, and what inspires you, really what you're seeing in those people are things that are important to you. And those are our values. And once you're connected with them and you can now add your name to your hero's names and say... Um, these are my values and this is how I design my life. Mm. And the thing that I thought that's beautiful between you two in terms of overlaps is both of you are first and you admire people who have the courage to do something that wasn't done before. Your leaders and your teachers. So it, um, no wonder you're doing this podcast to lead and teach us. Mm. And here we thought we were just having fun. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's such a powerful concept that how you are able to frame it from asking the question of the hero to hear what someone is saying. And then you can turn it around and say, hey, this is really what is within you. You're actually describing yourself by describing your your hero. I, I found that to be um very, very, very powerful when I when I went through it, and it, it's always resonated with with me. And <clears throat> I'm going to shift gears just a little. You know, back when George Floyd happened, um, I remember you, we were on a, a call, and there was a conversation, and you were everybody was asking, "What can I do? What can I do to to make a difference in the world?" Yeah. And I remember you asking the question, "You know, what can I do?" And I said, IJ, you already have the solution. Your framework of designing the life you love can also be utilized. And I use two words, deconstruction and reconstruction. Tell us a little bit about um, your thoughts around George Floyd, um, what you were able to create, and how it's impacted your life today. You know, that was such a powerful moment when you told me, Aisha, you already have it, you know, and deconstruct. And you told me deconstruct and reconstruct love, mm -hmm. which is so typical, Terry, that uh, you were doing two things. One is reminding me that I actually have the skills to do it, but then you were connecting it 
to love, you know. Um, and so um, the way it impacted me, and then we could talk about deconstruction, reconstruction was, you know, a lot of people don't know that my husband is French Senegalese mm -hmm. and our children are mixed, mixed kids, right? Biracial and, um, and I'm Turkish. I didn't grow up here, uh, but now I am, um, you know, American and part of the society and, and as a white woman, uh, who's married to a black man and who has biracial kids. I felt like I knew and yet I didn't know. And, and it was a great moment of empathy and also feeling um, in a way helpless mm. of, you know, what do I do? And how can I do it in a way that's empathic and meaningful? And, and it, it was really you who told me you can do this and you have a voice and you know it's through your design tools and so deconstruction reconstruction is how i think and the methodology the design thinking methodology that um, i talk about in my books it's also the red thread across all our work um, with corporations and leaders and what you told me was, let's deconstruct and reconstruct. First, we started with racism to understand what it's made up of so that we could think about the same thing, but differently, creatively. And, uh, and also when you design something, you collaborate, right? So yes. we pulled together our friends who generously gave us their time. And we started meeting once a week to deconstruct with the intention of deconstructing racism at first, but quickly realized that um, racism was a black hole. Mm -hmm. You know, it just, you could de deconstruct it, but you couldn't reconstruct it into something positive. Mm -hmm. And um, because it just, everything disappeared uh, in it. And so then you said, you know, Aisha, let's change it to deconstructing and reconstructing love in the context of humanity. I remember very well. Mm -hmm. and, and that gave us hope and optimism. And that changes everything, you know, because really um, design is all about how to transform your inner pessimism into your outer optimism. Mm -hmm. And we needed that hope to boost our optimism that there could be a solution to this. And so we together deconstructed love. And I think one of the biggest learnings was that love is a skill. And we don't think about it as a skill, but it is a skill and a language that can be learned, which then means that as we deconstruct this idea of love, um, love could be an education. And, and that, that was our, in a nutshell, that, that was our um, kind of process and learning. We have, you know, an interesting opportunity now. I don't know if you follow football. I know Terry does. But this was a very powerful week uh, mm -hmm. in, in the National Football League because Monday night, DeMar Hamlin 
died on the field uh, was resuscitated and brought back and so the the remainder of the week was all around an, an exercise of humanity from the NFL uh, it got kind of pretty deeply into religion and prayer and the underlying message seemed to be one of love and unity mm-hmm. that that humanity transcended the game uh, yeah. for once and it was brought to every NFL game over the weekend where collections of what would normally be fierce opponents came together uh, to honor uh, the life of this man who who had that episode on the field and I just wonder and Terry and I have kind of kicked it around over text I just wonder if there's an opportunity there for us to reestablish some unity on a broader scale not just the not just the NFL but maybe in our lives locally nationally or maybe it's a partial antidote to some of what we've been seeing across the country yeah oh I love that and um gives me chills just <laughs> hearing you talk about that and um and I think again thinking about it in the context of design and problem solving um one of the tools that we use is cross fertilization mm. and cross fertilization simply means that there might be a solution to your problem but in a different context and so when you gather inspiration and hear what you're talking about is there is inspiration and there's an example to this problem that just emerged this past week in football. And now we can cross fertilize from that and understand how that happens and then say, where else can we use this? And so it's, um, it's a very powerful tool and I love the idea of, you know, we have a model for it. Now, how could we expand on that model and, um, and use that as a way to generate new ideas in, in new contexts? I love the way you connected uh, inspiration and this cross-fertilization process. Um, and I'd love to I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. I mean that that there seems to be transformative power in mm-hmm. in putting those two things together. Yeah. Oh, and I love the way uh, you're guiding this conversation because inspiration is really at the heart of mm. of any problem solving endeavor. And um, and often when we have problems, we're paralyzed by fear because we have a challenge and we, we seem to be stuck in that problem state. And the way out of that is hope and hope is finding inspiration because when we see inspiration, just like we uh, see inspiration in what happened this week uh, in NFL is you see parts of the solution in different places. It might not be the whole solution, but you start to see it. And once you start one thing, you might see it in different places. It's almost like uh, for women, you say, once you're pregnant, you start to see other pregnant women. <laughs> you know, I, there must be a translation of that in the in the male world, but it's... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Probably is. We're just not, not enlightened enough to know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> 
but it's once you have one inspiration, that's all it takes. You, your mind suddenly opens up to that optimism that there might be other dots and you start seeing them. And as you see them, I often say, you know, as designers, but also as any creative uh, endeavor involves inspiration. You know, we read books, you know, you mentioned my book, for example, over the holidays and um, we watch, you know, the, the news, we might go to a museum, concerts, we might travel and go to a new city, a conversation with a friend, our conversation, your podcast, anything of these, any, any uh, different form could give us inspiration. So we simply need that um, kind of being open to it, right? And once you open it, you you start seeing those dots. Okay, I'm talk. I'm going to talk a little bit longer, but what it does is it opens up your viewing angle to see the situation beyond your problem. And once you start to see those new dots, and you think, oh, there might be a way to solve this that gives you courage and when you have courage you start connecting the dots you have new ideas and once you have new ideas that's where you dare change the world and i like that i like (laughs) that you dare change the world you know that's um that's 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 powerful and a word that dr brown just used he used the word enlightenment you know yesterday i um I attended an event normally that I, 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 I don't attend, but I said I was going to do it because I told someone that I was going to do it. And as you were talking and I reflected on that, as I sat there, I asked myself a couple of questions. The first question was, how can I see this differently? Hmm. How can I hear this differently? And then how can I interpret it differently given the first two questions that I asked myself? And so I was trying to see something old in a totally new and different way and hear it differently such that whatever biases that I may have had about it, I wouldn't get caught up in those biases, but allow it to be a new experience for me. And that's what I'm hearing when you're talking about using your framework from a solution perspective. It is the context that you place it in and how you enable yourself to see something old as something very new and a new challenge to, to, to create uh, solutions. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And um, Terry, you said hear differently. Yes. See, it, others, see, yeah. see it differently and hear it differently. Yeah. And understand it differently. Yes, absolutely. Right? I love that. And um, we're thinking alike. And (laughs) Todd Church has mentioned that on LinkedIn last week. He said, you, I said, yes, we've worked together. So we do think alike. (laughs) And that's why we work together. So um, I like to ask the question, what if, Mm. and and what if, (laughs) and I, you just deconstructed that question. What if? What if we see it differently? What if we hear it differently? What if we understand it differently? What if this is not what my preconception 
tells me it is. And that what if question is really, I love how you just did that because it, um, it's all about an open mind. Mm-hmm. And that also, you know, I look for qualities and this is um, something that our mentor and friend Marshall Goldsmith taught us. You know, he says, I'm successful because I work with successful people. And in another way of saying that is um, working with people who are open-minded. Mm-hmm. And what if question is a very easy way to open your mind. What if? Yeah. You know, I, I'm not even going to say anything about the what if question. I'm going to let Dr. Brown speak to the what if question <laughs> and, and what I've said to him. Yeah, that's. A, I was just thinking, you know, we're just like we're three peas in a pod in a way because Terry has always brought the what if question and a lot of some of the work he's done with our organization in the past has really asked that question hard and it has a lot to do with the way I think. In fact, I even wrote an op-ed for the local paper when we were in the midst of this multi-billion dollar health system acquisition. There was a lot of opposition, and and my entire op-ed was based on a series of the questions, what if? And uh, ultimately, you know, the the acquisition occurred. It's been incredibly successful and didn't have anything to do with me asking those questions, but uh, it really put folks in a different mindset, you know, that open mindset where there's a little bit of space. You know, so much of the time, uh, you talked about fear earlier, and I think, you know, fear is a powerful closer of the mind. And, you know, sometimes anything that we can do to perhaps just achieve a little bit of extra space, a few extra moments to think through, uh, really does help uh, assuage the fear to a certain extent. Oh, so beautiful. So may, um, <laughs> may I share a tool that I'm actually discovering myself, rediscovering, I should say. Yes, about fear and how to get over it. Um, so, you know, I, I find that a lot of us wake up with fear uh, in our hearts. And the other day, I was reading a quote by Rumi, mm. and I don't have the quote right in front of me, but, he, you know, Rumi was the Persian poet who lived in the 12th century. And he literally talks about waking up with fear, frightened and empty. And I thought to myself, hold on one second. Rumi, the poet of love, woke up with you know, woke up frightened and empty. How is that possible? In 12th century, you know, and here we are, we think like we're the only people <laughs> post-COVID and you know, in the middle of all these global challenges. And it just made it universal in my mind. And the thing he says is, before you start work, do something creative. Mm. And again, this is not the quote, so uh, I can find the quote and send it to you after. Um, but that's the gist of it. And and I thought, you know, he, he basically says, before you start start reading, you know, pick up, for example, a musical instrument. And and for me, you know, it's not a musical in- instrument, but it's my pen. For somebody else, it might be journaling. 
but it just brought this idea of how to transform your fear into something positive, hope, is through creativity. And, uh, and if every morning when we wake up, we could do like five, 10 minutes of something creative that has the potential to change our day. Mm-hmm. You know, Ajay, um, that was, that's wonderful. Uh, you know, wake up doing something and creative. To speak to your creative uh, acumen, you are the reason that one, we are together, meaning Dr. Brown, myself and you, you are the reason that probably two to 300 of the world's top leadership development professionals are together in a group we call the Marshall Goldsmith 100 or the 100 coaches. Tell us a little bit about how Marshall decided to put his group together. What inspired Marshall to create (laughs) the MG100? Because I have a sneaking suspicion that it was your creativity that drove that inspiration. You know, Terry, I was, first of all, thank you for asking that question. Um, I was with Marshall Goldsmith this weekend mm. in New York and and he always gives me credit and he says we were we wouldn't be here and we were together with uh, members of the 100 coaches who were in New York uh, and he said you, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't you and I thanked him because he taught me you know when somebody says po- something positive to you you always have to thank you know so I've learned my lesson <laughs> and so I thanked him and I said but we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. And he thanked me. And then in the moment we decided it was a collaboration. Yes, so that- <laughs> yes, yes. So, yes. Um, and the collaboration was when my first book, Design the Life You Love, came out. Uh, Marshall knew that I had been you know, writing this book and he wanted to help me promote it. And, and that speaks to the generosity of Marshall. And he said, I should, why don't you do a workshop and I'll invite my friends and they'll learn about your process and how to design their life. And then, you know, um, they'll know about your book. So, and I was delighted, of course. So I put together a workshop and then Marshall shows up with his friends, but Marshall has so many friends. So 70, seven, zero people show up and, and the other thing about Marshall is like you can imagine that somebody else doing something like this an initiative but not showing up and that's not who Marshall is so Marshall also comes mm-hmm. and because he's like I want to learn you know to how to design my life and in the process I asked him the hero's question that I asked of you and he said that his heroes were his teachers and his teachers are amazing. Everybody from Buddha to Francis Hasselbein to Peter Drucker mm-hmm. to uh, you know Alan Mulally, the uh, amazing CEO of Boeing and Ford Motor Company. The, the list goes on. But and he said, you know, these teachers taught me everything I know without asking me anything in return. 
And then I asked them the follow-up question. So this is an opportunity for us to follow up on, the, on that hero's exercise. I said, so Marshall, what would you do to be more like your heroes? Mm. And he said, I'm going to teach everything I know to others for free. And my only expectation is they'll do the same when it's their time. And then what I love about Marshall, so many things, but he's an idea idea man, but then he has to, you know, he acts on his ideas. You know, a lot of us, we have ideas, but we don't do anything with them, not Marshall. So Marshall does like a little home video he posts on LinkedIn and he says, I'm ready to teach everything I know to 15 people, whoever is interested, write to me. And then, uh, you know the story, how many people wrote to him? Do you remember? I think it was around 22,000 people wrote to him. Something like that. So he was expecting, he told me afterwards, like, you know, a couple hundred people and thousands of people wrote back. And then from that, he first selected 15 people and then that grew to 50. And now we're, I think around to your point, 300 and something. Um, and the goal is we learn from Marshall, he teaches us. And then our give back is we teach what we know to others for free as well. Mm-hmm. That's that pay it forward mentality, right? That's that pay it for, forward mentality. And the, the, the beautiful thing is, so Marshall Goldsmith, 100 coaches, or like you said, 100 coaches, um, is this amazing community. Um, and I call it a friendship factory. Mm. Because uh, one of the things that we learned, and I talk about in the book is, the importance of friends to our well-being and that we forget over time how to make fresh friends. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when you're young, you go to a playground, you go to a school, you start your first, you know, job. There are all these social structures that encourage us to be friends. But as we grow older, and we're working hard and we have families, we kind of fall out of the habit of making friends. And, and yet it's really crucial for our longevity and well-being to have friends. And so I talk about Friendship Factory and, and Marshall created this Friendship Factory for us to become friends. And this podcast is, is a great example of that. Yes, it is. Uh, it's almost like telepathy because I was hoping we were going to get to this part in the book. Uh, just it's, it's fascinating to me as as you go through different parts of life, right, and and how you continue to to develop those fresh friends. And, and obviously, the MG one hundred is a great way uh, for us to do it. And then there have to be other ways uh, for the other parts of our lives and how we do that. And I'd love to spend a little bit of time uh, with you, just kind of giving our listeners some some advice on on how that process goes oh i'm so glad that um you're circling back to that idea because um what's interesting about friendship is it's different from love in the sense that we find love right but friendships we make Mm. so immediately my designer brain goes to hold on you know I design things to be manufactured. So as soon as you hear that word make, I was like, oh, 
if you can make friends, you can have friendship factories, you can manufacture friends. And then, so what are the ingredients of that factory? Mm. And through our research, what we realize is that there are a couple of things that we need to create a friendship factory. One is shared time, shared space, and shared interests. If you can get these three things, just like we're doing now, we're together sharing time, we're sharing interests, and shared space, even though we're on Zoom, it's a virtual space. Mm -hmm. So once you have those things, then you need something that accelerates trust. Because if you have trust, then you know it's easy to become friends. And, and trust is also getting to know each other. And the best way to build trust that I know is through collaboration. And so here we are collaborating. What Marshall created was through teaching each other a way for us to collaborate. And then if you know, your listeners are thinking, but you know, what is collaboration? Collaboration is actually super simple. It's helping each other. And so as soon as you help someone or ask for help, you're actually starting that friendship. Mm. And in a lot of us are, I also found this through our research, uh, it's hard for us to ask for help because it's, you know, a lot of people think, oh, it's like a vulnerable situation. No, no, no. Help is really collaboration in design speak. So reframe that idea in your head. We all need help. But if you don't want to ask for help, just ask someone to collaborate with you. And then you'll see if they're collaborating with you, that becomes an accelerator of trust. And and I have a little bit of bias to this when I say this. I love the word collaboration. But there's also a word called co-creation <laughs> that, that I love to use as well. And actually, Dr. Brown has used the term more than me. I've noticed if he if he didn't think I, I, that I have, I've, 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 I've actually noticed that he loves using the word co-creation. And I'll, I'll let him speak to maybe why co-creation versus uh, collaboration. Oh, there's, golly, there's so much right now. There's, there's such a rich conversation because... In my mind, I tie everything back to health, right? And this whole fresh friends concept and how it ties into anti-isolation, which Mm -hmm. is one of the most frightening health factors there is, is isolation as we age, is really powerful to me. And co-creation is incredibly powerful because it takes me to a space, and I can't take credit for this. It's actually in a book, The Power of Giving Away Power by Matthew Barzoon that really three key things that that happen in successful interactions if you go into it with a mindset of I'm going to need help, I'm going to be needed, and I'm going to be changed. It's amazing how miraculously things come together after that. And it really is the power of interdependence Mm -hmm. and how we all bring so many different uh, but sometimes overlapping strengths uh, to a situation that if we can just cultivate those environments where people are able to bring that into the discussion or bring that into the implementation of whatever the idea is or into the design of it, uh, the end product is so much more robust. Yeah. Oh, it's so beautiful. And 
<laughs> we we could talk kind of hours around this, right? I totally agree with you. One, you know, my that book that you're holding, Design the Long Life You Love, is really the fruit of co-creation with older people. And so instead of asking them questions about aging, we ask them, why don't we co-create? And would you like to come be a designer with us for a day? And that changed everything because when you ask older people, you know, what it, what it is to age, you know, when you ask anyone, they tell you their problems, you know, oh, something breaks down in terms of my family structure, my health, my finances, my, you know, friendships. But if you ask them to co-design with them like we did or co-create, what we found out was, yes, things break down, but actually living long is thrilling. Mm. And that the thrill isn't gone, the thrill is on. <laughs> and, and these people are incredibly courageous and they are experts at living, you know? So in um, suddenly this whole conversation or the, the research went from a reductionist point of view around aging to something that was incredibly uh, growth oriented. Mm -hmm. And again, coming back to this idea of, you know, how can we turn pessimism into optimism? The, the book really is about showing that our research made us optimists around living long. And uh, yeah, so I I'll just, stop. Oh, that, you know, that opens up in my head. It's so it connects so <laughs> strong about this experts in living. And it mm -hmm. takes me back to late 2015. I was at a fork in the road. I had an opportunity to become a health system executive, which meant for the most part that I had to leave behind half my life of becoming a vascular surgeon. At that time I was 50 and I realized half my life had been devoted to get to the place that I was in vascular surgery. And I remember vividly talking to my dad, you know, a more experienced person, you know, and he was concerned there was security to be given up if, if I left vascular surgery and got into executive leadership, you're beholding to a board and all these kind of different things. And at some point during all those conversations, you know, I, I, I got to the point that I realized, yes, I've spent half my life to get to this point as a vascular surgeon, but I've spent my whole life to become an expert at this type of leadership and I can continue to grow that. And so what you said about the expert in life really resonated so strongly with me is that being able to bring our life expertise to one another uh, has just such great power. Mm. Yeah. Mm. It does. And it really goes back to this idea of um, helping each other. Mm -hmm which is one of the best ways that I know, and I think we all know, of creating meaning. And, and one of the things that I learned through COVID is um, when you help other people, the person you help most is yourself. Mm, absolutely. Mm. You know, this thing about power too also, you know, we've talked a lot about fear. And w one thing that's uniformly uh, 
uh, true is that power guards fear. Mm-hmm. And it can be the power to stay the same. It can be the power to change. It can be some other power when we talk about systemic issues and all that. But when we talk about healthy power, like you were just describing, as the guardian of fear, which we all have, the potential is limitless, right? When that kind of power, the power to help one another, the power to co-create, the power to design something new is the guardian of fear, I mean, the future is unbelievably promising. You know, that's the power behind the framework uh, that IJ has created from her expertise as a uh, industrial designer, right? And a collaborator. And I go to the word co-creator again, which is a cheap plug for the book that I wrote called <laughs> Co-Creation Leadership, right? It led, it led right into all of that. <laughs> <laughs> Well done. That was smooth. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's just the power that really exists within humanity to create, collaborate through an inter- interdependent process, any and everything that we want in life. It's just as simple as asking, how can I see this differently? How can I hear this differently? How can I experience this differently that opens up and en- enables us to connect the dots to be the powerful beings that we are supposed to be. And, and really the, I'm going to say the masters of, 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 of our, um, our fate. Yeah. I say it has been so, so beautiful. It, it has been such a, such a great uh, honor and such an energizing experience to have you on our show. And we're getting ready to run out of time, but I, I wanted to just kind of leave a moment for you. If you, want to leave our listeners with a, with a take-home message going into 23 of, of how they design the long life they love, uh, what would that be? I, I think that I would say, you know, my goal is to turn our inner pessimists into our outer optimists mm. using design tools and if I can do it you can do it in there are many ways you know we could go about it and I wrote two books about that Mm -hmm. but one of the things that I'd like to do is invite your listeners to practice this idea Uh, every Wednesday at five o'clock New York time I do a virtual tea Mm -hmm. so that we can play with these tools and practice them. And it's like these micro bite-sized optimism pills. And, and it's really about a very accessible creative process. So um, Terry, I tried to be as smooth as you are. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that's, hey look, that was very smooth. That was great. And I'm glad you mentioned that the virtual tees because I've participated and they're very, very powerful. So give us how, how we can, uh, how, if, if the listeners want to join your virtual tee or if they want to contact you, give us all that information again, go back to and, and give us the title of your books so they can go out and purchase them and, and have the experience that I experienced from, from, from reading and going through the process. Great. And um, Doc Brown, I hope you'll come as well and 
be a speaker at the uh, virtual tea. So um, to find the virtual teas, the best way is my name, aishabirsel.com backslash newsletter. And you can subscribe to our, to our newsletter and then you'll get notices uh, every week about the topics. And then I'll also talk about things that inspire me and are top of mind. And you can also find me on LinkedIn at uh, Aisha Brissell, of course. And then the new book is called Design the Long Life You Love, which you can find on any online bookstore or your, you know, ask your neighborhood bookstore. And if they don't have it, ask them to, to carry it. And then my first book is Design the Life You Love. And and maybe in a nutshell, the first book is Design the Life You Love shows you the process. Mm -hmm. And Design the Long Life You Love shows you the process, but connects it to these lessons that we've learned from older people mm -hmm. who have lived the longest. And so those are the, the two books are complementary. That's awesome. And you know what? One, one thing we love to be able to do and discuss, and we can do this offline, is how we could potentially co-create or collaborate some workshops, either virtual or face-to-face, -face, because it's a powerful tool, powerful tools that you have, and every they're, they're, could be utilized by everyone. You know, you read my mind. I <laughs> took a note here, collaborate. <laughs> <laughs> yes, awesome. Well, awesome. I, I can tell you, Aisha, it's been a true pleasure. It's my first invitation to any kind of tea in my life, so I'm excited <laughs> to join in some capacity. It's wonderful, and I just want to thank all of our listeners for taking time with us this morning. Uh, it's been a wonderful conversation, uh, in my opinion. If folks want to find uh, Terry and me or find Unlikely Intersections, you can do so on Facebook, where this is. You can find our podcast on YouTube, Spotify, or uh, unlikelyintersection.com, and also join me on LinkedIn at Doc Philip Brown or Terry. Yeah, you can join me on uh, LinkedIn as well at Terry Jackson PhD. We thank you so very much for joining us. Thank you, Isaiah, for this powerful conversation this morning. And if there's one last thing you'd like to say, what would it be? Love. Mm. Mm. That, that changes everything. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Thank you so very much. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you.